so glad they all decided that now was the time to go and do their partying outside of being right next door. I know. I was getting concerned for recording because that was really loud. Um, that's the first time I've heard neighbors that much. Yeah. Because, uh, again, I... never had I, a neighbor here throw, like, a mini party. No, I've never... The neighbors that live next to me, I literally never hear them. And the ones above me, it's just walking and when they use the shower. But that was, like, I could hear every word they were saying. We were jamming to their music. And I want to be like y'all. It's 9.30 on a Friday. I know I'm being an old person, but can you <laughs> shut the fuck up? Like, can you just stop? Can you just go out? Stop right. pre-gaming and go out. Call your lift and go. For real, though. Like, ugh. This, this is why my next apartment, my biggest thing is I want, I want to be in a community that is not college kids. Yep, there's definitely, definitely college kids here. Yeah. They're swarming. Yeah. Um, well, hello, everyone. Hello. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Tyler. And I am Brittany. Which I don't think we've ever introduced ourselves to Tyler and Brittany. I think it's usually the other way around, but... Yeah, you know, like... Switching I'm... things up. Woo! That's um, the exciting part of the podcast. Yeah, so it is, as we said, it's Friday night. And yes. we're recording, but you know what, y'all, it's been, there's, there's some really, really exciting things happening that oh. we'll be able to share with y'all soon. Oh my gosh. Um, things are, things are starting to happen and it's really exciting. I know. And the, there are some things that we can't tell y'all yet and I just. It is uh, on the tip of my tongue. I know. I can't I know. say anything yet. But, um, we will be letting y'all know soon. Yeah. So. October is going to be a good month. It's going to be a fantastic month. And for y'all that... I guess y'all be listening to this, like, October 8th or something is when this episode like will go the live. Ninth, the yeah. 9th is Tuesday. Um, but, so maybe maybe y'all will know about that. Probably not. Probably not. But, um, yeah. Also, can you believe that it's October already? Or, I mean, Monday is October. No. Like, September flew by and this is what happens every year it's like it's my birthday and then it's october that's like how the months whole... work um no i'm just saying <laughs> the whole month of september just flies by yeah. so quickly but yeah we've been doing this podcast now what did we decide four and a half months uh yeah four and a half months we started in the middle of may i can't believe it feels longer than four and a half months oh absolutely because it feels so routine yeah this it's... is like what we do we got the process like down to it's just like second nature at this point exactly but also like four and a half months it, is it, it's not that much like we're still new we still just started and um i don't know it's just been so awesome thank you all so much for yes. listening I like mean, always I, thank you thank you thank you <laughs> y'all are incredible and just just thank y'all so much for just everything everything um, and that's a great segue into just mentioning for a quick moment, Patreon. Yes. We have a page on there. We have a few different tiers where we offer really fun things like our murder minis, handwritten thank you notes from us, uh, be a director and pick the topic of an episode. Yes. So, um, thank you all so much. Those who have 
supported us on Patreon and want to say thank you so much to our new Cabernet Sauvignon convict, Don. Yes. Thank Dawn, you. Thank you so much for everything. everything. Um, saw it come through this morning that you signed up. So yes. we will reach out to you so we can chat about what, uh, what your topic suggestion is for us. I know. I'm excited. That was literally basically how I woke up. Brittany sent me a text. It was a screenshot of the notification. It was like, oh my God. Yeah. And I was like, ah. And then I had to get up and get ready for work. Yeah, but. same. I was also still laying in bed and I was like, I should probably get up. For those who are still waiting on that handwritten note, don't worry, it's coming. We're waiting on our stationery to get in. Yeah, so. we want to make sure we're, we did some custom stationery. And I think y'all are really going to enjoy it. So yeah. those are, we haven't forgotten. Yeah, Stationery's no. on the way to us. Yes. So don't you worry. Y'all are on our list. But seriously, y'all, couldn't do it without you. Absolutely Four and not. a half months um, of success, <laughs> thanks to you. Which is crazy. Like, I, I try to think about some of the things that four and a half months is. Like, that's a short relationship. That's uh Yeah. A job you don't put on your resume for the most part. Like, <laughs> four and a half months is nothing. And yet, to just have the kind of support that we're getting from you guys and all of the listens, the likes, the comments, everything that y'all do, it's just so amazing that we're, I don't know, it feels like building just part of a community. Yeah, we've got our little blood and wine community. Um, and Which we should think of a name of for y'all. Ooh. Because I thought Blood and Winos, but then I was like, uh, No, that seems uh. too obvious. Um, I'm thinking more of like, like Blood and Wine. What do you call a group of people that make wine? Venters? Blood and Wine Venters? I don't know if I that's, like it. No. Yeah, that's not Being it. Endeavors. Um, no. I don't like that. <laughs> no. Well, and then I was thinking, I don't necessarily know. We don't want to be like the Blood and Wine Cult. Although oh. that is an option. Okay. All right. A little, little <laughs> Jim Jonesy for me, but okay. <laughs> anyway. Also, you know, send in your suggestions. Name yourselves. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> name yourselves. We love it. Um, would love to have the name for y'all. <laughs> so, on that note, don't don't forget to subscribe. You'll yes. get notifications for all the new episodes, mm-hmm. and um, so you won't miss one. Mm-hmm. I get because I've I've subscribed to like there's like eight or ten podcasts. Yeah. On my app that I've subscribed to. And every day it'll be like, new episode of this, new episode of this. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then I don't listen to them because of who I am as a person. But <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have the notification. To know that the episode is there and that you can go find it when you have time. Yeah. And then be like, oh, I have 10 episodes of that to listen to. Here we go. Well, and like, I'm a morning podcast listener i listen Mm. after i get out of the shower when i'm getting ready and then on my commute to work and then sometimes i will listen on my commute home but sometimes after the you know at the end of the day i don't really feel like having to concentrate so i just want music see i like i like to listen to podcasts when i'm driving as long as i'm driving more than like 10 minutes i want to listen to a podcast yeah. But I don't drive to work. I take the bus. Right. And I just got a car, so. But. Well, and you could still listen on the bus. I did that a lot. I. I rode the bus. See, my bus ride, start to finish, is about 10 minutes. So. Okay. Eh. I had an hour bus ride. So, yeah. I get it. I get it. But it's, it is one of those things I'm like, I've thought about 
you know, throwing it on, like, my Bluetooth speaker or something and listening to it while I get ready in the morning. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like to kind of concentrate on podcasts. Not not concentrate, but, like, be able to pay attention. Yeah. And if I'm, like, getting in the shower or doing stuff, I can't really pay attention and I miss things. So. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to um, the Beto concert with fucking Willie Nelson tomorrow. Oh, my God, yes. Um, I'm, I'm telling rally. you. Yeah, I'm telling you, we're going to have to get there earlier than you think. I know, I know. But the nice thing will be it's not supposed to be too hot tomorrow so we could stand in line. Yeah. But, yeah, I saw the, like, email and the Facebook stuff where they were like, yeah, we got thousands more than we thought. And I kind of want to be like, yo, you're in Austin. Like, you're going to have amazing support. And you have Willie Nelson, so... I know. Fucking Willie Nelson. I've... Uh, well, okay. I've never seen him. Which I started to say obviously, but not obviously, because I do live in Austin. But I've never seen Willie Nelson, and I think that would be Didn't really cool. Didn't know he cool. lived in Austin. I don't know if he does. Oh. But I'm also just looking forward to going out and yes. showing support. I actually put a Beto sticker on my car, and you know mm-hmm. I don't ever do that. I know. Um, I'm not going to, just because my car is so new and beautiful and has nothing yeah, on I it. I would but... yell at you if you <clears> stuck a sticker on your car. My car is, like, eight years old. So, yeah, put just a sticker still on new, it. But... Um, <laughs> so, it's going to be really fun. I'm really hoping we at least get in line and can, can make it in, because... I've stood in a lot of lines in Austin for music shows and not made it in. I know. And when South by was here a couple months ago. Yeah. The the it country was more show. Than a couple months ago, but okay, it was like eight months ago. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, the that one country show, the one thing that I tried to go into that we stood in line for like an hour and moved like four feet, and yeah. I was like, no, I'm out. Yeah. Well, because the the line was like. Probably a third of a mile long. I know. And I was like, no. If we moved this little and that long, these this amount of people's not getting in. Like, I'm out. Yeah, that's true. So, anyway, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be pretty cool. Me too. It'll so. be good. And we have our backup plan if we can't get in, which is we get to watch last week's episode of Grey's Anatomy. Yes, which we still need to watch. Or, I I have also been told if you get a reservation at a restaurant on the other side of the river over by, like, Silicone Labs, um, and sit on the patio, you can still hear everything on Encoram Shores. Oh. So. Good to know. Another option. I was talking to it, uh, talking about the show with a coworker, and she suggested that as an option if we can't get in. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thought it was really cool. Yeah. Last week's episode... Yeah. Was really, really happy. It was. It was one that, had we not just done a Survivor episode... We'd want to do one now. We would want to do one now. Yeah. So, when I was thinking about the topic... Okay, number one, before I say this, yes, I realize there's no such thing as, like, a lighthearted or uh, lighter murder. Yeah. Because it's all murder. It's all, you know, someone's life is being taken. It's horrible. Yeah. But there are some that are just less detailed and less graphic and gruesome and horrific. Well, no, I agree. I was just thinking about the case I picked. And, whoops. Did you not follow the, we're not going to, you know, do something absolutely horrible? Just kidding. No. I I don't care what you picked. Oh, Um, wow. That's just rude. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean it that way. Uh I meant as in, you pick what you want to pick. It's your choice. 
But I did pick a topic that lends itself to not being yes. as intense. Um, it's just simply revenge murders. Um, some something. <laughs> something. Someone doing a crime because, you know, maybe it's a crime of passion. Maybe they're defending someone. Like, just mm. some type of. Revenge. I guess defending is not revenge, but yeah, kind of. But, you see the yeah. same way I'm talking about. Just like getting vengeance for or, or justice in their eyes. Yes, for getting justice someone. for something. Um, Which it'll be interesting because we've we've talked about in the past uh, doing an episode that was more of like you know were these murders justified and that's not the right word because murder is never justified it's murder don't fucking kill people yeah but i think this has the possibility of straying there okay like straying close to that like i can see where they're coming from which is something that we've never had in any of our cases no we haven't um i mean granted i will say in, in my case read quite a lot of comments on it that do have that idea of like oh this was justified i do not fucking agree with that i think that's an absolutely shitty horrible opinion again it's murder murder it's not justified it's not just but yeah it i think it adds an element of like a gray area yeah or it can well um you very much intrigued me into uh, wanting to know what case you picked. I know, but, but I go second this time, so you'll yeah. have to wait. So, I have to wait a while. Yeah. Well, I'm interested in seeing what one you picked. I went in a direction that I didn't think I would, because I found yeah. a couple of other cases that I thought I was going to do. One would be perfect for a murder mini, because it just didn't have enough information yeah. for this week's episode. I'm also, like, putting a pin in that. That may be my murder mini when we record that. Y'all will have to be a patron or to know, know what I'm talking about. We, yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll figure out because I will be here recording with you, but I'm yes. also intrigued. But the one I picked was just not not the direction I thought I was going to go, but it's a good one. Honestly, same. This one, this is a case I've actually known about for years now, since I was a teenager or something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about it in connection to this topic at all. Until I started doing some research and saw something that triggered it. And I was like, oh my god, that's what I'm going to do. So, anyway, I want to hear about the wine you picked. Yes, this wine. So, the wine we chose is Moon X. We We, didn't choose it. I chose it. it. (laughs) We didn't choose it. We didn't choose it. (laughs) Wow, that was good. I'm tired. Uh, Clearly. Uh, so the wine I chose yes, tell is me the wine Moon X. Chose. Moon X. And saw this one at Trader Joe's, our favorite wine spot. It was in the Fearless Flyer. Which I, I never read those. I, I get them in the mail. I sometimes I, I recycle through. them. I'm like, okay. And then recycle. <laughs> this wine is a Cabernet Sauvignon from California. Yes. California is just one of my favorite wine regions. Like, the they're really good for the big, deep reds that I like. California? California and Washington. No, and Washington, I, mean, I think, because, like, I it reminds me of home, but California reds are good. Oh, like, I mean, they are, because they're, mm-hmm. a lot of them are Napa. Yeah. And they just have fantastic soil for the grapes, and yes, 
Yeah. Napa, Napa, Napa. Napa. California. California Reds. So this bottle, it's it's one of those ones that I really like the shape of. Wait, wait is that? It looks a little fatter at the top. Yeah, where it's just a little fatter at the top and it's like, I don't know, it looks broad-shouldered. Um, <laughs> it is... So the Moon X wines are apparently some of like the best kept secrets what? at Trader Joe's. Like they are well known for being like incredible, especially at the pr- price point. <laughs> uh, which this one was six dollars. Yeah, I think it was six. Which insane! That is so cheap for wine. Trader Joe's like that though. I yep. love it. Yeah, I kind of hate when we go to other places and buy wine, and I'm like. I'm spending $14 on this, and I could get it at TJ's for 7 I mean, not the exact same one. Not the exact same, but sometimes. Sometimes. Um, so, this wine um, on the back, also it's a 2016, by the way. To me, the year never means anything. I'm like, okay, cool. When we mention it. I was about to say we don't mention it. We do. We do mention the year. I, I don't know what it means, though. Or an... I obviously know what it means. That's when it was, like, that's when the grapes are from. But I don't, like, I couldn't tell you the difference between a 2015 and a 2016. Yeah. I know it, like, depends on how the weather was that year, lends itself to different flavors of grapes, but I don't know. Because of the soil and all that stuff. Yeah. So, according to the back of the bottle, this juicy, super dense wine is inspired by the onyx blackness of a new moon. A lunar phase occurring when the sun, earth, and the moon are all aligned. Thanks for the science lesson. (laughs) Loaded with intense dark flavors of blackberries, raspberry jam, and exotic spices with a caramel toast. Enjoy with any bold... I know. Enjoy with any bold dish or just by itself. And we are doing the latter. Yes, we are doing the latter by itself. Which... Bold dish. Anyway. So you want to open that up? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you always make these noises? You make it sound like these bottles are difficult to open. It's not easy to open. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, what does it smell like? It smells like wine. Yeah, it does, but I like it. All right, pour this wine. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's soup. It's deep. I know, it's really dark. Let's... Just like the inner workings of my mind. Okay, let's smell this. Okay. I smell... Okay, I say I smell berry. I literally always smell the berry because it's the sweetness, and I just always smell it. But it smells very concentrated? Yes, there's definitely some wine in there. Like wood or something. I, I don't. Hey, cheers. <laughs> you don't want you don't want to do the this is what I taste. I don't even remember what you told me I was supposed to taste. Uh berries and caramel toast. I don't know. Oh. Toast. I don't smell toast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Alright, cheers. Okay, that's good. I, the smell... Oh, that's really good. The smell was making me think it would have a little bit more tannins, but it's very smooth. It's there's, very smooth. There's not that sharp bite that tannins can have. It just slides right down. Yeah. It, honestly, I wouldn't think it was a cab. I wouldn't either. It almost tastes closer to a Merlot. Yeah. 
to me because of the lack of tans. Yeah, because it's a lot more velvety. That's a great word. It is velvety. I like it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to... Yeah, we got our wine in. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy drinking that. I know. Ooh, yes. I'm a fan. Me too. TJ's has done it again. TJ's, they just... Life would not be the same without it. Yeah. Just in general and like grocery shopping face stuff. I get a lot of my face stuff from Trader Joe's. I The only things I do not get from Trader Joe's would be deodorant and toothpaste. Yeah. Like... I get toothpaste there. I really, really like the um, fennel one or something. Maybe that's not what it is. But... Yeah, the the one that's like licorice Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that sounds awful. I'm like an Aquafresh or Crest through and through. Well, there you go. God, Aquafresh. Haven't mm. used that one in a while. I know, with the stripes and shit. Yeah. Mm. But... <laughs> it's not like you eat it. You're <laughs> like, mm. Yeah, you put it on a cracker and just go to town. On it. That's yeah. gross. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's... Ugh. But anyway, yeah, I love Trader Joe's. Oh, pet food, pet food and stuff. No, I've gotten, we don't do I've it gotten there. it there once, but it's just a little pricey. Well, and that's what Amazon's for. That's true. So we have our wine, we have our topic. Jump in your case. All right, I will. Tell me about your revenge murder. So for this episode, I selected the murder of Travis Alexander. The sources I used Wikipedia. Good housekeeping. What? (laughs) Did Martha Stewart murder him? (laughs) They had an article in Good Housekeeping about this case. Was it about cleaning it up after the case? (laughs) No, it just was literally about the case. I use a nice bleach mixture when taking blood out of my porcelain tile. Yep. I mean, that was at the end of it. It had like a step-by-step instructions of how to clean up blood. Yeah. Blood's not that difficult to clean up. Like, off of things and stuff. Obviously, like, (laughs) CSI people would get it. But, like, if I cut myself in the kitchen and was like, how am I going to get this off my counter with soap and water? (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) I think it's more so the fear of the blood soaking into cloth things. I mean, just get rid of your clothes. I mean, did you get blood on your, like, Giorgio Armani suit? Because, okay, yeah, get it dry cleaned, but... (laughs) Like, well, I was wearing Armani when I murdered this person, but I love this suit, so I'm just going to take it to the cleaners. Even if, like, I got a bad cut on my hand and bled all over my clothes, I would just throw them out. I wouldn't be like, gotta get rid of these. Gotta get the... Or I... (laughs) I wouldn't be like, gotta get the blood out of these. Gotta... No, I would... Although, then someone might find, like, blood-soaked clothing in the trash and... Uh, I would have a receipt in the pocket because that's who I am. Um, <laughs> and that has your name and card number, and they're like, Tyler, we need to speak with you. And I'd be like, it's my blood, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the other two sources I used were Biography and Bustle. Travis Alexander was born on July 28th in 1977. He lived in Riverside, California. Mm. He had a really, really difficult childhood, um, mostly because his parents were drug addicts. When he was 11 years old, he went to live with his paternal grandparents, and they introduced him to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, so he's he's a Mormon. Mormon. He's a Mormon. 
Did you know uh, the lead singer of Imagine Dragons is also Mormon? I did not. Did you know there are more people who are Mormon than you really realize? Yes, everyone in Utah. <laughs> no, those are the ones you realize. Oh, okay. Like, we knew that. That's true. So, Travis Alexander yes. was Mormon. After his father died in 1997, his seven siblings were also taken in by the grandparents. Mm. Travis was a salesman and a motivational speaker for prepaid legal services. Okay. So, um, I believe it's PPL. Another person in my case is Jody Arias, who was born on July 9th, 1990, also in California. Mm. She and Travis met in September 2006 at a PPL conference in Vegas. Uh, They became quick friends. There was obviously something there between Mm -hmm. the two of them. They were infatuated with one another. And Jody wanted to get to know Travis more. And she started learning about Mormonism. And she converted to the faith in 2006 and was baptized. Wait, she was born in 1990? 1980. Okay. Did I say 90? You might have said 90. I might have misheard you. But okay, 1980. 1980. So in 2006, she was baptized into the Church of Latter-day Saints in a ceremony in Southern California. So then they were together. They were deeply enamored, passionate, all about one another. Just absolutely in love with each other. Absolutely, absolutely in love. Um, However, they had a quick-lived romance, but during it, they exchanged over 82,000 emails. Oh, emails. Is that just something people did in the, like, early 2000s? Is yeah, like, before there was text. Which makes sense, but I never, well, I do check my email inbox often, but, like, I would never write to someone that I know in person. I know. Isn't it weird the way email <laughs> has changed to such a business correspondence? Yeah. It's business or, like... Yeah, like me... Tracking numbers from all the shit I buy online. Yeah. Yeah, that and then, like, coupons and shit and ads that I don't want. I get so much junk mail, and I have Mm -hmm. done the unroll thing, and I still get shit, like... Oh, yeah, I hit unsubscribe on, like, all of those when I get them, and it just doesn't, and I'm like, great. Well, it's like you sign up, and you're actually on, like, six different lists. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's great. Thanks. Yeah, so there are 82,000 emails. 82,000 emails. That's a lot. So their quick romance sort of fizzled quickly. After about five months, they called it quits. However, they did continue to exchange in sexually explicit text messages for the next two years. So Mm. they weren't together. There was a bit of a long-distance thing um, at some point because I think... Travis lives in Arizona at this point in his life, and Joe lives in California, and there's a long-distance relationships yeah. so that added to the difficulty. But Travis's friends who knew Jody, they observed them together, and they had a very negative opinion of her. Really? And they were stating that the relationship was really tumultuous and that her behavior was very worrying. So in early 2008... Travis told PPL that Jody was going to join him for a work-related trip to Cancun, Mexico. And this is, again, after they'd broken up, but they're still exchanging the texts and still talking. There it's complicated. There it's complicated. So this trip was scheduled for June 15th, 2008. Um, And then in early of that year is when he reserved her spot. Yeah. But in April, 
he asked to change the travel companion to another female friend. Oh. When Travis broke up with Jody, he reportedly told his friends, don't be surprised if one of these Sundays I don't show up and you find me dead someplace. That's not ominous as shit. I know. Travis kind of predicted his own fate there. When Travis began dating other women, Jody would get extremely jealous and she would be enraged and she would slash his tires, hack into his Facebook, stalk him on outings. Fuck. Uh, one oh of, my God. Leave him alone. One of Travis's close friends, Sky Hughes, told the Huffington Post, Jody was totally obsessed with him. She wouldn't let him go. Whenever he would try to sever all ties, she would threaten to kill herself. Uh-huh. He would tell her he didn't want anything to do with her, and she would show up at his house. Fucking crap. Like, just let people live their own fucking lives. I know. And it's just the the type of obsession that can happen in relationships when you... I hear of cases that start out, like, with such heated passion... And then it ends quickly, and then it turns into this obsession. Yeah, I... And it's like this loss of that really wonderful, heated, awesome passion. Not saying that every time that happens and it ends that one of the two is going to be obsessed. But no. it, it just... I've read about this more than once. No, yeah, it's it's not an... Uh, it's not a super uncommon thing. Right. But... Because you'll see it even in the way of, like... You know, people, their exes, like, calling them, like, hundreds or thousands of times and being like, well, if I could just talk to them, then then they could realize what they're missing without me. And it's like, holy shit, the world doesn't revolve around you. It's always just so selfish and so self-centered. It's, I need you, or, like, you need me in your life, and, like, these are the, God, the world does not revolve around you. Yeah, the world does not revolve around you. If someone doesn't want to be with you, leave them alone and let them be and stop trying to force something. Yeah, because you'll be happier if you let it go and they'll be happier because they are done with you. Sorry. (laughs) Hey, no, I, I, yeah. I just, I've had, I've had a lot of friends that were in relationships that were the kind where they break up with some guy and he'd be like, well, I guess you just want me to kill myself now. And it's like, that's no. so fucked up to say that. To put that on someone else? Because you're either making light of people who actually do commit suicide or you're literally putting your death on someone else who has nothing to do with this. Yeah. It's extremely unfair uh, to do something like that. Yeah. On June 2nd, between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m., Jody called Travis four times, but didn't appear to get through to him. Mm-hmm. The longest of the calls was like 17 seconds, so oh, okay. most likely so a rain voicemail. voicemail. After 3 a.m., Travis called Jody twice. Their first call uh, lasted about 18 minutes, the second time about 41. Then again, at 4.03 a.m., Jody called Travis back. Call lasted two minutes. So he answered that time. He answered, and they're talking. So something's going on. At about 5.30 in the morning, after all of these phone calls, Jody set out to drive south to get a car for a long trip to Utah. Mm -hmm. And at around 8 o'clock is when she rented the car at a budget rent-a-car in Redding, which is in California. Yeah, Northern California. Yeah, yeah. 
she indicated that she would return the car at the same exact location. She visited friends in Southern California on her way to Utah for a PPL work conference to meet Ryan Burns, who mm-hmm. was another person that she was dating. Or a person that she was yeah. dating, because she and Travis are broken God, up. God, Reading to SoCal, that's a long-ass drive. Uh, I've done it before. Yeah, yeah. insanely long drive. Uh, by late evening on June 3rd, Jody apparently set out for Salt Lake City. Okay. On June 4th, Travis missed an important conference call in the evening. And then the next day, the 5th, Jody met up with Ryan in Salt Lake City. So, just looking at timelines here. Yeah. So, it took her two days to get to Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. She attended the uh, business meetings and all the stuff for the conference. And Ryan later said that Jody's hair, who had previously been blonde, had been dyed a dark brown. Okay. And that she had some cuts on her hands when she was at the conference. On June 6th, Jody left Salt Lake City... Drove west towards California. She called Travis several times. She could not get a hold of him. She left voicemails. Um, she accessed his cell phone voicemail system to see if anyone else had been leaving him voicemails. Just to try to figure out where he is, yeah. what's going on. She returned the car on June 7th. She had driven about 2,800 miles. Fuck! In those few days. Ew! The rental clerk testified that the car was missing its floor mats and had red stains in its front and rear seats. Mm. Um, However, it could not be verified that the car had floor mats when she picked it up. And any stains could not be verified since the car was clean before police could examine it. Oh. So, it's hearsay. On June 9th, Travis's friends cannot get a hold of him. There's still no word. And so they're really concerned and they go to his house. Yeah. His roommates hadn't seen him for several days, but they believed that he was out of town. They didn't really think anything of it. Like, when was is... his Cancun trip? Uh, it was supposed to be June 15th. Okay. So not so yet. So this is just before Like that. a week before. Okay. Yeah. Um, so his friends just getting a little concerned. Can't find him. Roommates just think he's out of town. Mm-hmm. After they found, so his group of friends found a set of keys to his master bedroom. So I guess this is a place where he lived and he locked his room because he left town. Like that type of situation. So his friends got the keys. They opened the door and they found large pools of blood in the hallway to the master bathroom where his body was discovered in the shower. Jesus. His body, five days decomposed when it was found. Fuck. uh, Had been stabbed 27 times. He had an ear-to-ear slash across his throat and a bullet to the hip. Oh, my God. Um, According to Dr. Kevin Horn of the Maricopa County Medical Examiner Office, his stab wounds were inflicted with major force, and his cause of death was excessive loss of blood. Jesus. He had multiple self-defense wounds um, on his palms, his fingers, and Horn later testified that Travis may have been dead at the time of the gunshot wound being inflicted. Um, she and his roommates hadn't heard the gunshot, or no, they knew nothing. They thought he was oh out of town. My 
God. So whatever happened could have been when they weren't there. That's fair, yeah. During the 911 call, the dispatcher asked the people who called if Travis had been suicidal or if anyone was angry at him or someone just wanted to hurt him. And his friends specifically mentioned Jody as a possible suspect. Mm -hmm. And um, they stated that Travis had said she was stalking him, accessing his Facebook account, slashing his tires, like all the shit that she'd been doing. Jesus, yeah. And Jody's a suspect. Yeah. And on July 9th, so a month after his body was found, she was indicted by a grand jury in Maricopa County, Arizona, for first-degree murder of Travis. She was arrested at her home on July 15th and extradited to Arizona on September 5th. Okay. She pled wow. not. She pled not guilty on September 11th. Okay. So she's saying like, I, I didn't do this. Yeah. She originally told police she wasn't in Mesa when the murder occurred. She claimed she last saw Travis in March of 2007. She changed her story in September. Told various media outlets that that two masked intruders attacked her and killed Travis. Uh, okay, honey, stick to the story if you're going to have one. (laughs) And when she had an interview with Inside Edition, she said, no jury is going to convict me. I'm innocent, and you can mark my words on that. Oh, that's... uh, Okay. All right, Icarus. Fly close to that sun, (laughs) don't you? I know, seriously. Um, Two years after her initial arrest, Jody took back her account of the home invasion and admitted to police that she killed Travis... But it was in self-defense, claiming she'd been a victim of domestic abuse and domestic violence. So her sister wrote something on Facebook after this third um, story came out. Her sister Angela said she lied, but it was because she was so in love with the man and she did not want people to know what a monster he really was. She wanted everyone to believe that he was as amazing as they thought he was. My sister is innocent of the crime they are accusing her of. She did kill Travis, but it was not in cold blood. It was not for revenge. It was because she was afraid for her life. She wrote that on Facebook? Her sister? Yep. So do you, like, like that? Do you... But, okay. That's plausible. It's plausible. Things like that happen. Absolutely. Okay. So on June 4th, which is the day that seems to be missing from the timeline I was talking about earlier. When she was supposed to be in Salt Lake City. Yeah. And she didn't arrive until the next day. Yep. And it just so happens to be five days before... They found his body that had been decomposing for five days. Yeah. So. so on June 4th, Jody visited Travis at his Arizona home. And prosecutors would later claim that she arrived unannounced. And the prosecutor's case was saying that it was a the murder was a premeditated act carried out in rage because Jody um, was jealous that Travis wanted to end their relationship and that he later planned to take someone else on that trip. To Mexico. Yeah. In August 2011, Jody was granted a request by a judge to represent herself in her case. That's a always a bad idea. Always a bad idea. Like, even if you cannot afford an attorney, pick a public defender, and worst case scenario, you don't listen to them and you're representing yourself. Yeah. Like... So, there was um, a, a clause. It's like, as long as her public defenders stayed as an advisory council, they would allow her to represent herself. So, they were still there. Okay, yeah. But, I don't, I don't know. It just, it's yeah. weird. Um, and isn't she in also in sales for, like, prepaid legal counsel, yeah. whatever it was? Yeah. 
Okay. She's in the same... So she knows some lawyers. Yeah. However, the judge reinstated her defense counsel after it turned out that these letters from Travis that Jody requested be admitted were forgeries. Oh, my God. So judge is like, no, you cannot yeah. represent yourself. Another really surprising thing in the trial. So this is a case that was one of those that gripped the nation. And it was a, like... Really? The it... media was all over this. I don't remember it at all. And it was in like 2011. Yeah. See, I was 18, 2011. I don't remember it at all. I don't either. But um, there's some more reasons I'll get into as to why this was becoming a thing and maybe why you didn't know about it and maybe why I didn't know about it. But people are watching this. It's on TV. Mm -hmm. Like, it was very much like around... When did the Scott Peterson case happen? Where he killed Lacey oh, Peterson. Uh, oof. That was earlier in the 2000s. I feel like yeah. that was earlier 2000s. Well, it was similar to that as far as, like, coverage is concerned. And yeah. He said, she said, did she really do it? Is yeah. she being convicted of this? And is she really innocent? There are a lot of people out there who think that she could be innocent. Is this the next Netflix true crime documentary? There's actually one on Discovery, I believe. Oh. Um, in January of this year. Oh. Which I want to find. I found in my research that that existed. And I was like, oh, I'd really like to oh, watch that. Yeah. And while we're speaking of Netflix, Making a Murderer. Season, season two, 2. Which will be I'm very intrigued. Well, because the first one took them like 10 years to make. Yeah. And this one still took them like three, four? Three, I think. Which... I could see now that they have more money. Which, holy mm. crap, has been three years since that came out. Yeah. Jeez. But I can see now they have more money now that they have that hungering vocal audience for it. That it would be quicker. But I'm, I'm interested to see what it is. Me too. Because and Brendan Dassey, the uh, nephew. Yeah. He or... appealed. The, he, something I think happened an after. His, after making a murderer aired. No, I think there's an appeal. Him. Okay. So, so I wonder if it'll be about that. I don't know. What I'm really interested to see is the preview makes it appear as if the... Oh, I haven't seen the preview. There's a little preview. It's one of those like 15 second previews. But it it's as if the people creating the documentary are presuming his innocence. And, and I don't know. I It's one of the ones where I still yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah. But the way it was presented was very biased. I'm wondering what the bias is yeah, going to be true. here. Well, I, I in the first season, there was very clearly a strong bias of innocence. Yes. Just in the way that everything was portrayed. And that's something that's important in any true crime documentary, in any true crime podcast, including our own podcast. Well, that's why I'm bringing up the yeah. opposite. In, like, that is why I'm saying this, because I am not... I didn't, in my research, look up all the things that are like, and she could be innocent because, because I, literally with this case, I could talk forever. Yeah. I'm just giving a broad overview of mm -hmm. what this was and what happened, so. But yeah, no, the. If anyone wants to call me out for leaving that, mm -hmm. like, I know I, I know I left it out. Yeah. Well, that's just one thing that with all of the true crime stuff that when I watch it, I have to continue to remind myself that the people behind the camera, the people directing, the people editing, everyone has their own biases Yeah, that can very much sway something. You can film one thing and edit it to 
be what you want it to say. And even without malicious intent, but just editing it in a way of like, oh, well, I'm just at keeping the important things because in your mind, what you're seeing, what you want to believe, those are the important things. Because when I first saw Making a Murder, I was like, holy shit, he's fucking innocent. How is, this is, he clearly, he was framed. Like, what is going on? I know, that's what it freaking looked like. And then I thought about it not that long ago when uh, the the staircase was happening. Yep. yep, That was when I really took a step back and remembered and thought about making a murder. And I kind of rewatched a little bit of it. And I was like, wow, this is one perspective. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. there's a reason in criminal cases that they bring in dozens of witnesses or and dozens of experts. And they try to get as many perspectives as possible and piece it into one. Yeah. Because if you just have one perspective, it's difficult. Well, and I, I hope this next statement doesn't come out sounding stupid. I think you'll get what I'm saying. But it's also why there's a defense and a prosecution. There are Absolutely. two sides. Absolutely. There are two sides to every story. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason our legal system, at least in that aspect, is, is set up that way. Mm-hmm. I do agree with that part of our legal system. <laughs> I do. I um, love that every person, regardless of... This whole thing was caught on videotape or whatever. Like, they still still have a defense. They still have the right to defend themselves. Exactly. Anyway, sorry. Continue. No, no, you're totally cool. You're totally cool. So another really surprising move in the trial. In February 2013, Jody actually took the witness stand where she would testify for 18 consecutive days. Oh. And... As she is already very infamously known for her different accounts of Travis's murder at this point in the trial, like she had gone through one, two, three stories, Jody stated that she killed Travis in an impassioned act of self-defense. She testified that Travis had frequently abused her, that she killed him after he came at her in a fit of rage when she dropped his camera. Okay. She claimed that she had suffered some memory loss as a result of all the emotional trauma she experienced during the incident, and with a psychological expert corroborating that she was suffering from PTSD from this event. Yeah, okay. She said, lying isn't typically something I do. And this is in response to a query from the jury. Yeah. The lies I've told in this case can be tied directly back to either protecting Travis's reputation or my involvement in his death because I was very ashamed. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But as, as she mentioned about the camera, that he was mad that she had dropped it, as it turns out, police found a digital camera that had been damaged in the washing machine of Travis's home. They were able to recover some deleted time-stamped images from this camera. Oh. One was of, or a few of them were of Travis and Jody in sexually suggestive poses. And there's one of her reflection in his eyes in the moments before she supposedly killed him. Wait, is that the picture? I remember this case now. I Sorry, I just pulled it up. This is the picture. This is that's the last picture. Yes, I do remember this one. Yeah. So he's in the shower and there's supposedly a reflection of her in his eyes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely can't see it on the iPhone, but yes. So there's the shower picture 
with her reflection. And then that last photograph showing him in the shower was taken at 529 on June 4th. Damn. Photos taken moments later show an individual believed to be Travis profusely bleeding on the bathroom floor. Another image depicts Jody dragging his dead body across the floor. And supposedly these images were taken accidentally by the camera as it, you know, fell to the floor or whatever. What the Supposedly these were accidental images. A bloody palm print was discovered along the wall in the bathroom hallway and it had DNA from both Jody and Travis. The trial continued to be this spectacle, and in March, the prosecutor accused Richard Samuels, who is a defense expert who diagnosed Jody with PTSD, of having feelings for his patient. And then in April, juror Meliha Amanovic was dismissed after the defense claimed that she'd made prejudicial comments, according to um, the Arizona Republic, one of the newspapers there. Yeah. And then two o- two other jurors were also later dismissed. Okay. Um, wow. Again, like I'd mentioned, the media, the American public could not get enough of this case, and part of it was due to the weight of the case, um, and Jody herself were sexualized, both in the trial and in the press. Um, there were headlines about the trial, Jody Arias trial, boobs, anal sex, dominate day 10, and Jody Arias sex life, defendant reveals more dirty details. Because throughout this, she's very open about their sex life and about things that they were doing. Um, she recounted the details in her testimony, just like extreme details, and there's a piece in the New York Times that argues that the public fascination with this case had more to do with the obsession of policing female sexuality than with the details of the crime itself. Absolutely. I believe it. Yeah. And then a, a quote from this article that I wanted to read. And while Travis's death was certainly grisly enough to explain a baseline of media interest, the amount of attention it has received stems from the courtroom juxtaposition of the defendant outfitted in nerdy eyeglasses and a frumpy hairstyle and evidence of what a steamy, pliable playmate she was. It stems from pictures of her genitalia that she let her lover take, audio tapes of the phone sex the two of them had and that she recorded. It stems from the shock and censure of such potent female desire. That's gross. So that's... Like sexist and disgusting it is that's why it received a lot of attention more so i mean while this crime was extremely brutal i mean he stabbed 27 times slit ear to ear on the throat shot in the head just for good measure i guess um but in may 2013 jody was found guilty of first degree murder this is almost seven years after the crime. Damn. Five jurors found her guilty of premeditated murder. Seven found her guilty of both premeditated and felony murder, which is a verdict that, like, sparked elation with Travis's family. However, the judge declared a mistrial in the penalty phase after the jury, there was a deadlock on whether Jody deserved the death penalty or not. So that made a mistrial happen? It made a mistrial happen. 
in the in the um penalty phase. Yeah. So she's been convicted. Okay, she's but guilty. they're gonna have to redo it over whether it's a death penalty or life. Right. They have okay. to redo the penalty phase. Yeah. Where the jurors are going over the evidence and all of yeah. that. So that was in May twenty thirteen. The penalty retrial began in October 2014 with a new jury that visited the same evidence that was presented in the first trial. Mm-hmm. Um, this time, the focus was on the psychological makeup of both parties, with the defense attempting to portray their client as a vulnerable woman and uh, Travis as this emotionally and physically abusive man. Yeah. In March 2015... The second jury was also unable to agree on uh, Jody's sentence. Thus, this removed the option of the death penalty, leaving punishment in terms of Judge uh, Sherry Stevens. Okay. And in April, after expressing remorse for her actions in a statement, and Jody received a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Mm. So at this point in time, because that was 2015... Jody's working on an appeal. There were some complications with paperwork and things were going through. Some type of, I, I don't even know, because yeah. I didn't get into it. She missed the deadline for her appeal. However, in June of this year, in 2018, her lawyers are getting more time to appeal her murder conviction. So that okay. happened um, just a few months ago. Who knows what's going to happen as far as her appeal. This is something that could be coming up in the news again. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So that's the case of the death of Travis Alexander at the hands of his ex-girlfriend, Jody, Jody Aries. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. It's quite a case and there's obviously a lot of detail I I didn't dive into. But I thought I made that long enough, so... (laughs) I'm going to jump into mine, but first... I will say, if you have a strong stomach, you can look up the autopsy photos and see what a body decomposing at five days looks like. But I don't advise it. I don't advise it. I did. Um, It's not pretty. It's... It's It it made me realize how... um, How a lot of TV shows that show that shit, like... CSI and stuff are um more accurate than you'd think. Yeah. Yep. But fake doesn't look so fake now. So off of that, um, yeah, I'm opening bottle two and Brittany is still has a very full glass. I do. I'm drinking I was also talking. You were no, and we always uh Drink our wine slower when, like, We're during talking. our own episodes yes. or during our own segments. So, but yeah, oh, glug, glug, damn. Well, I'm thirsty. Yeah, well, now that I've done my case, yes. I'm still very interested in hearing which one you did. Yes, so um, it's almost like mine surprised you a little bit. Oh, it absolutely did. I mean, your case was one that. Once I got to the very end and you mentioned the picture, I remembered it. Yeah. But what I remembered of it was that picture. Like, I didn't rem- I didn't, I never knew the case. Yep, yep. So, I, I knew the picture, not the case. But I'm going to jump into mine. Yes. And I think mine's going to surprise you as well. Okay. So mine is the 2002 Uberlingen air crash and the murder of Peter Nielsen. Okay. 
So the sources I used uh, were Wikipedia and then the National Geographic show Seconds from Disaster. Okay. And that's how I've known this case since I was a teenager. That I love like disaster such shows. a you show. It is. Like everything about that show sounds like Tyler. It's so good. It goes into, they do a different disaster each episode. And, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes are like what happened. And then the next like 15 minutes or so are the investigation. Yeah. And then the last like 10, 15 minutes, it replays. And it counts down the seconds to the disaster with the knowledge from the investigation. Oh, So it shows... Yeah. So during, like, that first initial bit, you, like, see things that are happening and you hear things. But then at the very end, it'll be like, and this is where the, uh, you know, such and such ignited in the plane's cargo and it caught fire or whatever. And so you get more of, like, it's the whole picture. Anyway... Huh. Really great show. If you like disaster shows or disaster documentaries, it's a great one. But getting into my case. So July 1st of 2002 at uh, Moscow's Domodedovo International Airport, it's 8.10 p.m. And 45 school children from Ufa, Russia are waiting to board a flight to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, like a school trip. Yeah. You know, like, all the school trips that I didn't get to go on that you got to go to D.C. Um, yeah. You know, it's one of those. Uh, but it's like a reward for the kids doing well in school. They get to go on this school trip to Barcelona. So... Which, holy shit. I know. Let's just take a second to think about that. We... Which, I guess, to people in Europe, maybe it's like it's going to another thing. state. But, man, there's something about it that I'm like, fuck... If I lived in something, if I lived in Germany and I get to go to Barcelona, I feel like it's not the same as. Oh, they live I in live Russia. In, oh, Russia. Sorry, um, and it's not the same as me saying like, "Oh, I live in Oklahoma and I got to go to Florida." I mean, I guess. So I'm just saying that there seems to be a difference. There, there is. They maybe don't see it. I see it. Well, okay. So, they're all delayed in Moscow because they missed their original flight, but a new one is, like, being chartered, and it's going to take them all to Spain. So, they chartered a flight because they missed it, which I'm like, okay, these are some bougie kids. Well, bougie parents. True. So, also on this flight are Svetlana Koloyev and her children, 10-year-old Konstantin and 4-year-old Diana. Um, and they're flying to Spain to see their dad, Vitali, who he's been working in, in Spain for like a year and a half. They okay. haven't seen him. So they're going to go visit dad in Spain. Yeah. So when Bashkrian Airlines flight 2937 finally took off at 8.48 p.m., it was carrying 60 passengers and nine crew. And they were kind of just settling in, getting ready for the four and a half hour flight to Barcelona. Yeah. Like it's... Which, four and a half hours, that's... I mean, I think the flight from, like, L.A. to New York is, like, five, five and a half. So, it just blows my mind. It's less that, than that. <laughs> it blows my mind that Europe is the size of the continental U.S., more or less. Like... I know, because when you look at maps and globes, and you start to realize how they're so inaccurately displayed. Yeah. Because Europe looks so much smaller than the United States, mm-hmm. but it's... 
like not. Also, Africa is fucking huge, people. If you don't know, know. Africa is fucking huge. That's why I hate the Mercator projection, which it's a it's a a map projection and it's the one you'll see where Greenland is fucking massive and like comparable to in, in size uh to Africa. Like, yeah. you know, that map, it's ba- it's using a lot of, like, schools and stuff. It's, like, a pretty basic map. Yeah. And I hate it because Greenland is a big island. It is tiny. Africa's fucking huge. Yeah. And, yeah, but... It's one of those things that I feel like an accurate globe, it would be, like, United States, small. Europe, Russia, Africa. I mean, yeah, it... I mean, it's the second most populous continent after Asia, and it's the second biggest one after Asia, so it, yeah. Well, and Well, the Sahara Desert, just the desert is the size of the U.S. The entire U.S. is the size of a desert. Which I think is something people don't realize. Yeah. Because that's a comparison. How many countries is the Sahara Desert in? I think it's around 20. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, like 20 different countries. Huge. And it's countries like Libya and Algeria that are fucking huge. Like, yeah. ugh. So, anyway, yeah, I'm passionate about maps. Sorry. Sorry, so, not sorry. Maps are awesome. Yeah, it's true. So, they're in their flight. It's taken off. They're good to go. They're doing their thing. Meanwhile, in Zurich, Switzerland, air traffic controller Peter Nielsen is working the night shift. So it's him and one other person, yeah. and they're managing like an airspace that covers like most of eastern Switzerland and uh, goes into southern Germany. Okay. And his colleague goes on a break, and this is something that was pretty standard when working the night shift. Yeah. So the airspace that they're in during the day is like one of the busiest in Europe. Like okay. thousands of flights passing through it a day. Shit. During the night. Wait, how many? So, okay, you say thousands of flights, and, like, that's a lot. What's an average for other areas? Like, I don't... Um, I just, well, I just feel okay. like I don't know a comparison. So, for example, Heathrow Airport, largest airport in the United Kingdom, one of the largest in the world, yeah. has 650 flights a day. Okay. And Central Europe, you're... I mean, this is the corridor for Europe to... The Middle East, Europe to Asia, oh, Europe within yeah. Europe. I mean, this is a huge yeah. area. Yeah. Um, during the night, however, there's not a lot of traffic. And there's not really many landings after about 11 p.m. Yeah. Because that would suck. Well, it would. That would totally suck. Um, so, it's pretty common for the night shift. There's two people... For one of them to go on, like, a pretty long break. Because you're just sitting there. You're not doing anything. Yeah. So, his colleague goes on his break, and he is managing both stations. So, they have one station that monitors just the air traffic going through the area. Mm -hmm. And then another station that monitors uh, the landings at the uh, Zurich airport. Right. Which, they don't really pay attention to that. Because it's the night shift. Because it's the night shift, not me, if any, planes are landing. Yeah. So, colleague goes on break. He's watching both of them. Yeah. Both stations. At 11.06, the plane is at 36,000 feet. 
It's cruising above Austria, and it's about two hours from Barcelona. Okay. 400 miles away, a DHL cargo Boeing 757, which is a big plane. Like, yeah. it's a has one engine on each wing, but it's a pretty big plane. Yeah. Uh, takes off from an airport in Bergamon, Italy, and it's headed to Brussels. So oh. it's a cargo plane, so the only people on it are the captain and the co-pilot. Yeah. Uh, but it's carrying a bunch of shit, going to land in Brussels. 11.21 at night, the DHL plane enters Peter's airspace, and the captain calls him to request, like, oh, you know, can I climb to 36,000 feet? And Peter's like, go for it. At this time, Peter is, you know, managing both radar stations, uh, you know, one for flights in the air and one for flights landing at Zurich, and, you know, there's not... Usually flight center at Zurich. However, on this night, there is a delayed flight that oh. has to land in Zurich. So he suddenly has to actively work between the two. Yeah. So flight 2937, the one with the, all the kids aboard, yeah. contacts Peter as it enters his airspace. But at the exact same time that he is... kids are flying late. Yeah, they are. Well, they missed their first flight, though. Right, but this one still seems real late. It does, because it's going to land in Barcelona at, like, what, 2 a.m.? Yeah. That sucks. Anyway, as the flight is reaching out to him, because they're entering his airspace as well, um, he's like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, the traditional air traffic controller. Okay, acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, another flight, the one that's trying to land at the airport, also contacts him. Yeah. And that's that one's a little more priority because it's trying to land. Yeah. Like, also, while this is happening, they have engineers that are working um, and, f- just, like, fixing the phone system, updating it. So the phones are down. And Wait, so why? Because they're they're fixing the phones. Oh, like, just, they just, just have, like, repairmen, like, fixing it. Gotcha. And what's typical, like, standard practice is when a plane's trying to land, uh, the air traffic controller calls the airport like the controllers at the airport and it's like yo this one's trying to, hand, trying to land hands it off yeah he can't get through to the airport because the phone lands down so he's like focusing like trying to figure out how to fucking call them oh my god um suddenly the traffic collision avoidance system alarm in the dhl plane which is known as the tcas mm-hmm. uh starts going off and at the exact same time the TCAS in flight 2937 starts going off as well. The way that these systems work is they kind of build a map around each plane. Okay. And they communicate with other planes with this system. So yeah, if there are two planes that are headed toward each other, it's going to first like beep and warn the pilots. And then if necessary, it's going to like, tell one of them to go up and one of them to go down. Yeah. Like, it's going to communicate with itself and like, with the other planes. Yeah, with what they need to do. So, right now the two planes are 15 miles apart, and they're flying at the exact same altitude. They're both at 36,000 feet, and they're headed towards exactly the same spot. Oh so my god. Peter realizes, he looks back after finally, like, dealing with the planes trying to land. He looks back and is like, oh, fuck. So he tells flight 2937 to descend. You know, start descending right now. At that exact same time, the alarm, the TCAS system in that flight starts telling them to climb. 
and the crew of Flight 2937, they don't know who to listen to, and they're, like, super confused, because the air traffic control guy who can see the whole situation is telling them to go down. The system in their plane is telling them to go up. So in the EU, it is standard that TCAS has ultimate priority. Regardless of what the air traffic controller is telling you, you listen to the system on the plane. Yeah. In Russia, however, it's different. You listen to the air traffic controller. And TCAS is more of an advisory. The air traffic controller is who you listen to. Oh, my God. So at the same time that, you know, their TCAS telling them go up, he's telling them go down. On the VHL plane, their TCAS telling them to descend, go down. They're yeah. still confused, but he tells them again, like, more urgently, like, descend now. So, they're like, okay, we're doing it. So, now both planes are descending. Oh, my God. And both planes are just now three miles from one another. And they're That's closing so in close. at a combined speed of over 800 miles an hour. And they're both descending. Oh, my God. So, just then, Peter has to, again, switch back to the other radar because of the issues with that other fucking plane. Yeah. Like, it's still trying to land. Because, again, this has only been a few seconds that's been going on. Yeah. And from his point of view, he's told the other one to descend. They're starting to descend. Okay, this other plane is trying to land. Cool. They're good. They're good. I'll go to my other thing. Yeah. So, at 11.35 p.m., coming in almost at a perfect right angle, the tail of the DHL flight slices flight 2937 and a half <gasps> like it just right through the plane oh my god mm-hmm. so well, like they were under him and the, t- the tip of the tail yeah. was like <laughs> so right like five seconds before the crash the um passenger flight saw the other plane and tried to pull up and so the DHL flight went just under them, and right, like, in, uh, just in front of the wings, oh the tail God. sliced it in half. And so Flight 2937 breaks up, explodes, and it just scatters wreckage over a, just a huge area around Überlingen, Germany. The DHL flight, oh now its tail is gone because it was yeah. torn off. And so it struggles along for about four miles before it crashes in a wooden area close to the village of Teiserdorf, Germany, mm-hmm. at a 70-degree downward angle. So it just, like, slammed into the ground. Yeah. Meanwhile, Peter finishes with the landing flight. They're all done. They're oh, landed on the ground. shit, Peter. And he goes back to the radar station, and he can't see either of the flights. They were on his radar, and now they're just not. Yep, Peter, that's because they're not in the sky anymore. So, that's what he realized. He's like, they crashed. Everybody aboard both flights was killed in the crash. This other dude that's on his fucking break? Like, come on, man. Yeah, it was saying they would take extended breaks. I'm assuming that meant, like, the other person would go to sleep. Like, would go and take, like, a couple hour nap. Oh, take a nap. Because in the episode, they had interviewers with other... People, like other co-workers yeah. and they were like that's literally what you do because otherwise both of you sitting there doing nothing yeah. except when you wouldn't be doing nothing except when you need two people and there's a reason there's two people and oh my god so within days of the crash the parents of the children killed started to arrive at the crash scene and started looking for people <gasps> oh. 
so god the parents had to look for them well there were search parties but the parents were like i'm gonna look myself oh god so vitelli i'm assuming no no survivors there were no survivors so vitelli kaloyev flies in from barcelona and he is hoping just to find out that his family wasn't on this flight that it was a different one that crashed. So Vitaly's participating in the search for the bodies, and he finds a broken pearl necklace that his daughter Diana used to own. Then he found her body, which was intact since trees had broken her fall. His wife Svetlana's body landed in a cornfield, and his son Konstantin's body hit asphalt in front of the Uberlingen bus shelter. So, because the plane, like, broke apart in air. Yeah. Like, it, after all of this, Vitaly suffered just a nervous breakdown because um, his yeah. whole family died. Yeah. This crash was the worst civilian airline disaster in all of German history. Yeah. Because this happened, like, southern tip of Germany. So, fast forward a bit to February 24th of 2004. Okay. Investigators are finishing up their reports on the crash, and Vitaly Koloyev is flying to Zurich. Uh-huh. So he, in this time since the crash, has become obsessed with finding someone to blame for the death of his family. At this time, Peter is still working at the same company, but he's moved into a different role. He's retired from being an air traffic controller. He has a lot of PTSD the from the event. Peter's the one that was there. Yeah, he was okay. the air traffic controller. He very much blames himself for it. Um, oh, Peter. And it's like, there's so much going on that you weren't prepared. Like, it, it's not his fault. Oh, poor Peter. So, Vitaly had found out where Peter lived after hiring a private investigator in Moscow. Mm-hmm. And Vitaly knew that Peter had been the controller on duty that night. And he decided that he didn't want to wait any longer, and he wanted to finish this himself. Oh, my God. Uh, You know, he lands in Zurich. He knows where this dude lives. He goes to his neighborhood. And one of Peter's neighbors spots Vitaly and asks, like, you know, what do you want? Where are you going? And Vitaly waves a piece of paper with Peter's name on it. And the neighbor's like, oh, you know, right over there. That's Peter's front door. He lives at that house. Yeah. But instead of knocking... Vitaly sat down in Peter's garden. Okay. So, Peter, meanwhile, is inside, and he sees Vitaly, and he goes outside to ask what he wants. He's like, who the fuck are you? Why are you sitting in my fucking garden? Yeah. And his, Peter's children also ran outside to follow Dad. <gasps> oh, God. Um, and at this time, his wife is at the door calling the children. It's like, oh, you know, mm, come back come inside. Back so Vitaly confronts Peter and is showing him pictures of his children in their coffins. <gasps> oh, unnecessary. Uh, yeah. Vitaly then stabs Peter to death in his yard. Okay. In front of Peter's wife and three kids. Okay. Oh my God. Vitaly Talk stated. About revenge. Well, actually, Vitaly stated that he didn't view the killing as revenge. Or as vengeance, because those are small things. He viewed this as punishment and some of it Peter had coming to him. And one of the horrifying things about this episode is it had interviews with him 
with um, Vitaly from the beginning. So, you know, in it, you know, in the episode, they're talking about the crash, you know, and they show part of the interview of Vitaly, and he's just talking about his his family getting on the plane. You know, it's just a generic, like, disaster documentary, like, oh, okay, this is just one of the people they interviewed for it. Yeah. And then as it goes more in, you're like, no, holy shit, that's who they're, that's who they interviewed for it. No. Was this fucking guy. So, That's insane. Yeah. So I started this watching it being like, wait a second. That's the dude. that Because he's like one of the first couple people interviewed. Okay. Because right at the very beginning when it's like, oh, also on the plane with the kids is Svetlana and her kids. And it pops to his interview being like, oh, yeah, they hadn't, I hadn't seen them in a year and a half. They were oh flying. Oh, my God. And just then throughout it, it was insane. So... Swiss police arrested Vitali at a local motel shortly after uh, the murder. Yeah. And he was. I feel like I've heard of this. I feel like you might have, because planes colliding in air is not common, obviously. No, and then someone stabbing someone to death. Stabbing because of that? Yeah. God. So Vitali was held in a psychiatric facility while he awaited trial. Uh, to see if he was mentally fit to actually stand trial. Yeah. Um, so when he was answering questions from the judge, he said that the plane crash ended his life. He said that his children were the youngest on board flight 2937, so there was no need oh, for him to identify the bodies. Uh, Vitali said that he was crushed by the loss of his family, saying that, I have been living in the cemetery for almost two years. Sitting behind their graves. No. So, in court, Vitaly presented a document that he had received from a law firm in Hamburg uh, that was from the 11th of November, 2013. Uh So, about a year after the crash. Okay. And the year before the killings. Uh Uh-huh. And the document was an agreement in which the air traffic company offered him 60,000 Swiss francs for the death of his wife and 50,000 francs for the death of each of his two children. And oh. the a franc is about equal to a U.S. dollar. Yeah. So uh, $160,000. In return, they asked that he decline any claims to the company so that they were... Not at fault. Yeah, yeah. And this document just infuriated him. Uh, because he's like, this is what my family's worth to you. Yeah, I, I, I will say. Absolutely I understand. get that. <laughs> That's absolute bullshit. Putting monetary value on the loss of a human life. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how you'd be, begin to do that. But those rates, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You buy life insurance and it's more than that. Yeah, $160,000. For three people. For his entire family. For his entire family. For everyone. No. So, in speaking of Peter, Vitaly said that apparently he did not expect that he would have to answer for the results of his work. He murmured something to me and then I showed him some pictures of my children and said, They were my children. What would you feel if you saw your children in coffins? I was infuriated about their initiative to haggle over my dead children. Which I agree. Yeah. Don't murder someone. No. 
murder is not. But the fact that the company the is like, outcome you should well, do. if we give you this money, are you going to forget about it? Because that's what it feels like. It feels like they're trying to be like, like it's almost hush money. And obviously it's a settlement. That's what settlements are. But it's, yeah, it's hush money. And it's, but $160,000. That's such bullshit. Give this dude at least like $3 million if you yeah. really want him to. I mean, nothing is going to be enough ever, but no. fuck. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Fuck that. So in 2005, Vitali was sentenced to prison for premeditated murder and was given a sentence of eight years. Okay. Yep. So they clearly were like, eh, dude's pretty much suffered a lot. We're going to only yeah. give him eight? So he was released in November of 2007. Okay. So two years after. Oh. He was convicted. So he did not do eight years. Because his mental condition was not sufficiently considered in the initial sentence. And his appeal stated that he had acted with diminished responsibility because of the deaths of his wife and two children. Diminished responsibility. Mm-hmm. So he was in such a state of shock. Shock and PTSD and grief and all of it rolled together. That, that he was not able to sufficiently not murder this guy? Huh. Yeah. So Vitali Koloyev was just completely unrepentant about what he'd done. Well, I mean he yeah he, he thinks what he did was he served justice. And this is kind of what I mean of I absolutely do not agree because he murdered a guy who was overstressed and made a mistake at work that cost the lives of a 70 lot of people. people. Yeah. He still murdered that man in front of his wife and three kids. Like It's not justified. It's not okay. Not justified. But when Vitali returned home to uh the North Ossetian city of Vladikavkaz, um, in Russia, obviously, um, he was met with in Enthusiastic crowds who cheered him on as a hero. Oh my gosh. So Okay. Yeah, so he's seen as just this amazing heroic person. For killing Peter. Yep. So in January of 2008, he was appointed as Deputy Construction Minister of North of Setcha. And in 2016, he was awarded the highest state medal by the government. The medal to the glory of Ossetia. The medal is awarded for the highest achievements, improving the living conditions of the inhabitants of the region, for educating the younger generation, and maintaining law and order. What? Yep. You got a fucking medal. For what he did? For, yeah. Okay. I don't understand that at all. Uh, me neither. Like none It's of... just super fucked up, all of it. It is! Oh my god! And, yeah, that is my case of revenge murder. It's just so fucked up because he's celebrated yeah. as this hero for killing this guy. It's kind of like Issei Sagawa, who is celebrated and he fucking ate someone. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand... People who do, like, and this wasn't even, uh, like, 
war type something. I just don't understand how anyone with empathy can celebrate someone who murders. No. That is a person who's never going to come home to their family. That is, you know, a father who's never going to see their children. A mother who's never going to see their children. Or it's literally someone who maybe they don't have relatable qualities to you. They're still a fucking person. Yes. Who's yes dead and that's that's not something to celebrate it's absolutely not something to celebrate and i i totally get it that grief is horrible and that he wants someone to blame wants yeah. someone to be responsible of for course, this of course of course but to that makes murder sense. a man to murder someone to feel like You've taken out that person who is responsible. It's not going to bring the family no. back that you lost. No, not at all. And I'm sure he didn't even feel better. I'm sure he didn't. Like, it. I'm sure that didn't do anything for it. Like, that's... you. Nothing makes you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. But one fun fact to end it with is... Sure. Is actually a movie based on this, uh, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, that came out in uh, 2016 or 2017, called Aftermath. And who does Arnold play? Uh, Arnold plays Vitali, or a character based on Vitali. Vitali. Like it's it's not the exact story. It's not like a based on a true story thing. Yeah. Or I guess it is based on a true it story. It's just, it's not a documentary. It's not a doc. Docudrama. Thing. Yeah. But, yeah, so, I haven't seen that, but I guess maybe I will. I don't know. Aftermath. Yeah. I want to see it. Yeah, I wonder if it's on Netflix. Well, let's look. Well, so, let's jump into postmortem. Ooh. I know. I was thinking about this, this the whole time you were saying yours. I was like, I don't know. I kind of want to say mine. Because? Because of specifically the fact that he was murdered in front of his wife and kids. That's what sticks with me the most about it. Well, and I will say yours fits a little bit more in the theme of revenge, for sure. Mine is a little bit more of a jealous lover's quarrel. It was revenge for her. It was revenge for her. In the same way that mine, apparently, to Vitali was not revenge for him. But it was but totally, it's totally revenge. They're both, t- yeah. But I, I, I kind of think, I don't know. Yours had an insane amount of loss of life, but not at the hands of a criminal. Yeah, the, the plane crash and those deaths were the lead up to the crime. Right. Whereas yours was such a fucking brutal murder. And yeah, the fact that I he was there for five days and his stabbed, friends found him. Stabbed 27 times, throat slit, friends finding him. I can't even begin to imagine what I would do if I stumbled upon a scene like that when I'm like worried about my friend. I can't get back to him. It's like literally you open the door and your worst fears are confirmed. Yeah. Because obviously at that point, they had all thought that, but like, thought it, but like, okay, that's fucked up, I'm pushing that out. 
Obviously, yep. that's not it. Obviously, we're going to bust up in here and find his computer with receipts for a plane ticket to Aruba. Somewhere. Or whatever. Yeah. That he's just, like, on a trip. Um, I don't know. And also... Kind of makes but, me think But I how am. celebrated Vitaly was. He had a fucking medal. That's and that he, sick. And he only served two years. That's so for the murder. sick. Oh, God. I... I don't know. I think... You make the call, because oh, I really could go either way. I don't know. To me... This is just a, the uh, hardest yeah. one I think we've ever had. I, in in regards to the closeness... Of, it let me know if you agree or disagree. I'm going to have to go with me, because... Oh, because you're the, picking, but whatever. me. No, just because of the impact on his children seeing that being in the garden when he's getting stabbed and it, on his whole family and then the the murderer serves two years and is now yeah, famous it is now famous no that is gonna haunt those poor children yeah. for the rest of their life yeah and that oh, is God. just I, yeah so I'll I'll say I win if that works for you. It does. I mean, I agree. This is one where... Both of these cases... This was a draw, essentially. But someone has to win. Someone has to not win. Um, Yeah, I'll let you go with it. You're... Wow. I I also will say, I like how... This sounds weird, but, like, a lot of your story wasn't about what your story was actually about. No, yeah. That's why I mentioned at the very... I don't know if I mentioned it in the episode or if I was just telling you about it before that a lot of mine is the build up. Yeah. Because the fucking the plane crash is necessary for the case of, to like understand it. Yeah. But to just just going in of like the details about how at any moment none of this could have happened. I know that those kinds of details kill yeah. me. But it yeah. All right. Well, I already know the topic we're gonna do next week. Okay. Because Jeremy picked it for us. Okay. I'm going to yeah. go with Jeremy's topic. And he did. Jeremy, you know what it is. We're going to yeah. hold it until next week for everyone else. But when we got that email, we were like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Jeremy, okay. Jeremy's one of our uh, Patreon supporters. Yep. One of our Cabernet uh, Sauvignon convicts. Yep. And so the next episode, he's our director. He's our director, and um, it's that's gonna be a heavy episode again. When are they not though? When are they not? So, so um, well, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Just uh, take a quick second, give us a five star rating, and um, let us know what you think. It'll mm-hmm. help us. Increase in the rankings and get the word out, and we we really really appreciate it. Also, engage with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever yeah. is your preferred platform. We love chatting with you guys. We do like um, and follow us. Do it. All right. On All right. that note, yep. we're exhausted. We're exhausted. It's like one a.m. I'm drunk as shit. So everyone, thank you so much. We love you. XOXO. Blood and wine signing off. Bye. Bye. Bye.